Please be seated, and as you're seated, if you are seated, please turn your Bible to the book of John. We'll be in John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10, and if you uh, don't have a Bible, um, if you don't have one on your phone or in your possession, we have do have um, Bibles available in this back corner here, or right, right by the door inside the sanctuary. We encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, please take one. We'd be glad for you to be able to have one. This morning, because this word, this Bible, is how we know who God is, is how we know what God's word is to us. It's how we find his guidance, direction, leadership, and it's where we find eternal life. It is in the, the word of God as is given to us. So we'll be in John chapter 10, and I'm going to read starting in verse 11 and do 11 through 18. Uh, we're doing a study on the I am statements of Jesus. Uh, seven times inside of the book of John where he says, I am something. And he tells us his identity. He shows us uh, what he is, uh, which is given to us that we respond in faith. And then we begin to understand who we are in light of who he is. And so listen for that, this I, I am statement as we work through John chapter 10, 11 through 18. This is the word of God. Oh, would you please stand for the reading of God's word today? Thank you. John 10, starting verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Well, of all the things that will destroy an organization, uh, toxic leadership, toxic leadership is one of the top uh, reasons for that. And if you've ever been under toxic leadership yourself, uh, you probably know how it's affected your life, maybe affected your job. Maybe you've worked at a place where uh, the leadership failed because of arrogance and because of uh, being absorbed in themselves, uh, with employers or managers failing to see past their personal interests. This week I read a story about a guy who, who took a marketing position in the United Kingdom. And in this marketing position, his job was to carry around a wooden sign at a supermarket every day. And he was standing there and he was promoting various products at this supermarket. I guess it kind of reminds me of, of the Costco samples. Don't you love the Costco samples? Well, um, anyways, that was, that was what he did. And at the end of the day, he and his coworkers, uh, they would all gather together at the company's office. And his manager would step in, and he would set off the speakers, and the speakers would be playing the song Pretty Green Eyes at maximum volume, and then, then the show would begin. And for everyone who reached their goal of their sales for the day, they would applaud that person. Ring a bell and cheer, cheer that person on. But, but for the person who hadn't quite reached their sale goals, what would they do for him? Well, the rest of the employees would form a circle around that person, and he had to stand in the middle and act like a chicken. 
Buck, 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 buck. And because apparently he chickened out instead of hitting his target. And it even gets worse because if perchance his phone would interrupt the event um, by ringing while this was going on, he would have to do 10 push-ups. Anyways, is that a place anybody would sign up to work at? I, I don't know. I think when you saw that, you'd say, this, there's some toxic things that are going on here. Ridicule instead of godly direction. Now, if you've ever been at a toxic place, you, you know it's not funny. You know how negatively it affected your whole life um, in, in just that work. But there's other places where toxic leadership shows up, right? I mean, it shows up in the family. Um, families get ripped apart as selfish people live for themselves rather than living for the good of the family, for the Lord. Toxic leadership shows up at a national level as, um, as a political leadership can spur on needless conflicts within the nation and across borders. You can take modern-day Russia as an example, unnecessary war leading to the pain of Russia's own people, even greater pain to the Ukrainians. It's not hard to see where toxic leaders might even thrive in, in certain political environments with an ability to manipulate others. It can also be part of the church. Toxic leadership can be there. When ungodly pastors and leaders seek their own interests, taking advantage of their people, elevating themselves while downplaying the place of God. They lie about God and salvation in order to gain their own following and maintain their own many kingdoms. And what's the result of that? You know, the result of that is the congregation of people who are there get hurt. It leads to disillusionment, depression, distance from God, and even deconstruction of faith. What is it that motivates toxic leadership? Often people want to preserve control, maintain a certain self-image, to build a personal kingdom. And they want respect and dignity, but don't pay attention to the respect and dignity of the people around them. Being controlled by fear, anxiety, greed, and a desire for control. There's often low emotional intelligence, have little interest in growing in this important quality. And chances are you know somebody like that. And maybe you are one of those people. Sometimes we don't know where to go for leadership, though. And who is it that we can trust? That's where our passage comes in. John 10, 11, as we saw, and we look in our word again, we see a leader that we can trust, and Jesus who says himself, I am the good shepherd. And in this, he drives, he, he draws a hard distinction between himself and what was some of the toxic leadership of his day. A line of division between himself and many of the toxic leaders inside of Israel's past. And when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he uses this word shepherd, it, it describes a certain kind of leadership. It's a metaphor of the relationship between uh, the people of God and her leaders. Israel uh, thrived as a nation economically as, as raising sheep, and, and people would take that idea of what a shepherd would do with a sheep and then translate it over into the leadership of, of political and spiritual leaders with the people of Israel. Um, we know that not only of the people themselves, the, the human leaders of the nation, political and spiritual, but we also know about God himself. Who know, we all know Psalm 23. We should know Psalm 23, which starts off by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, describing God's care for his people and a care of which was to be imitated by the uh, national leaders at that time. Now, uh, those who were supposed to lead in Israel often failed to do their job. 
fact, if you want a little lesson in toxic leadership, you could turn back to John chapter 9, just one chapter before this, and you would see toxic leadership in action. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who has been born blind. It really is a wonderful miracle. He was born blind. He hadn't been able to see, and it was an incredible disability to him. And in this miracle, this man is able to see again. Were people happy? A lot of people were happy. Were the religious leaders happy? No, they were not happy about it. For some reason, they feel threatened by it, maybe by Jesus' increasing power, by his increasing influence. And instead of rejoicing, if you go back to John 9, you'll see them berate the man. They threaten his parents. Instead of celebrating, they condemn and they threaten. I mean, it is a picture of toxic leadership. If you, we can go back to a passage like in Ezekiel 34, and I just commend this to you for your study over this week. I don't have time to work through it this morning, uh, the degree that I would really love to do. Um, but if you are to look at Ezekiel 34, 1 through 24, you see the conditions of, of ancient Israel and the toxic leadership which happened there. And, and God really makes two promises in it. He promises to them, you know what, I'm going to replace this toxic leadership. I'm going to come and I'm going to be your shepherd. And he says, secondly, I'm going to send to you a shepherd in the name of my, in, in the name of my servant David. And he's going to be a prince among them. It's really a spectacular statement about what God is going to do. And as we look through our passage today, you'll see parallels with what Jesus says. It's, all, it's like fulfilled prophecy about what God said he was going to do and then when he finally does it in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the fulfillment of God's promises to be a shepherd of his people. It's one of Jesus' I am statements. Remember, as we look through these seven I am statements, it's a, it's a statement of his identity. Yes, who he is. Yes, what he's come to do. But it's also a statement of who he is as being the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God from before the beginning of time. It's his declaration. Not only am you know, in my I am, I am the divine fulfillment of God's Old Testament promises, you know, I am the shepherd. As only God could be a shepherd to you, that's what I am to you. All these I am statements point to Jesus being God, Jesus' divinity. And as such, Jesus, in this statement, I am the good shepherd, promises to be a good leader to his people. Different from the other toxic leadership around them, he's the Messiah who's come. He's the priest who's died for his people, and he's the king who leads and rules over his people. The one who's given his life for them and the one who rules over them in his word, in his law, conquering sin and his enemies. So where do we go for good leadership? Where do we go to sharp, sharply contrast the toxic leadership that we encounter or even the toxic leadership that might be inside of our own hearts? Where we can find no better person to go to other than Jesus Christ, right? He is the good shepherd. You know, we really feel that, since that word good He's the shepherd, but he's the good shepherd. It's not found in government. As good as, as important as the state is, government cannot be our savior on the right or the left. They cannot solve all of our problems. They're called to do good, but our ultimate hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone. So that's what we want to do. Look at his leadership. Four qualities I'm going to take out of this passage where we see his care for us, what makes him a good leader, and something that we can learn from. So the first thing we want to see today is that this good shepherd speaks the truth. The good shepherd speaks the truth. If you jump all the way back to chapter 10, verse 1, 
part of the bigger context. Verse 1, uh, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but claims sin by another way, the man is a thief or a robber. We looked at this verse a couple weeks ago. You can find the sermon online. I just encourage you to, to look online if you've missed old ones. You want to catch up with them. Uh, but we looked at it a couple weeks ago, and we saw how there are people who would love to uh, steal you away from God, steal you away from the abundant life that he promises, and they do it by lies. Jesus has come to give abundant life. He's come to connect you with God. We see him referencing himself in verse 2 and 3. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Jesus, in describing himself, has no reason to sneak around, but he states plainly from the beginning who he is and where he's leading. He's above board, and he's committed to truth in all things. It's in contrast to the false messiahs that we see described in verse 8. Jump down to verse 8. Jesus said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. The thieves and the robbers, they build their following based on lives, drawing people away from salvation, which is through faith, by grace alone, through Christ alone. That's what their role has been. They offer the lies of the world. The world will offer lies, lies of pleasure, lies of a, of a suffering-free life, lies of riches. And many of us have been burned by those lies, believing those false promises. Our wandering hearts are attracted to them. It's only after they fail us that we realize that they can never from the beginning fulfill the promises that they made. And even if they were sincere, and many of them aren't, they're just lies, sheer deception of the devil. But even if they were sincere, because they're not God, they cannot fulfill those promises. We live in a world of lies, but Jesus makes a promise to speak the truth. And that's refreshing to hear from a leader. It's critical to hear from a leader. He shows us how the world works. He's given us his word. He promises to lead us in a, in a way of life. I mean, there's a ring of truth about Jesus. I remember reading through the New Testament and reading the, the words of Jesus for the very first time years and years ago, and I was, I was blown away. I just, wow. You know, there, there is something to the words of this man. There is something to what Jesus is saying. It has this ring of truth to it. I want to know more. That's what led me to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he speaks about. Verses 1 through 10. We have to develop ears that are sensitive to the true words of the good shepherd. If you, if you want to know the blessings of his leadership, walk in his truth, listen to his word. That leads us into our next point. The second point we want to look at is the good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. Look at verse 14. Jump down to verse 14 with me. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. He knows us intimately. Sometimes he knows us better than we know ourselves. A good leader takes time to listen. A good leader takes time to be aware of his people. He sees others as real people. They're not just tools to be used to another end. They're not just problems to solve, but they're genuinely unique and they're genuinely valued people. He works to know them personally and directly. It's more than just knowing facts, but a good shepherd knows his people personally. Jesus knows you. We know this because, first of all, he created you. Psalm 139 says, he knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows and he listens to your prayers. He hears your cries for mercy. He knows you in your trials. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
He knows you personally another way because he endured many of the same, he endured the same trials that you face, really, at their core. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Right? What's the opposite of that? He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? goes on to say, In every respect, he's been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. Because that we can draw near. So it says, goes on to say, we can draw near. We know, he understands. He's been there, he's experienced the temptation of sin and the suffering of this life. He's not distant. He's experienced it. And he's warm, and that he's present in his love and his sympathies with us. In fact, every time we come to the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of his warmth, of his love, of his presence, of his sympathy for us in order to feed us and care for us and build us. He also died for you by name. He died for you by name. That's another way he knows you. Matthew one twenty one says that Jesus died for the sins of his people. The Bible says that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. His joy kept him on the cross. What, what was that joy? What's a strange way of saying enduring death? Was well, joy in enduring the cross was your salvation. He knows you so intimately that he took your sins upon himself. I mean, he was crucified for the specific sins that you have committed or that you will commit. We call this definite atonement. He totally and he completely paid for your sins. He doesn't just make salvation possible, like I'll make a way for him to do this. No, he secured your salvation 100% because he knew every one of your sins intimately because he bore them as he died on that cross. He knows you. Better than you know yourself. He took the sins you know about and the sins that you don't know about. He took the sin and the shame that you don't want to talk about. He took it away for, from you and he took it upon himself. See, he knows you and, and he loves you. That's what he declares in his death on the cross. And as Jesus knows his people in, in these ways and others, his people also know him. He's revealed himself to them. Look at verse 3. Jump back to verse 3. It says, To the good shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. See, they know the tone of his voice. They know the power of his voice. Look at verse 5. A stranger, the sheep will not follow, but they will flee from the stranger, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So here you have the, the one who's loved you, Jesus Christ. He knows you. Do you listen for his voice? Or are you listening to the voice of strangers? Who, who, who you listen to will affect the way that you think. It will affect your heart. It will affect the things that you love. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes people who struggle with certain sins do it because they, they, they keep putting themselves in environments and they keep listening to the, to the lies of the thieves and the robbers who want, to, who want to take them elsewhere. No wonder they struggle. We just stop doing that. But to learn to distinguish between his voice and the voice of others. Let's listen to the voice of the good shepherd, of the good shepherd who's loved us. He knows us. That's our second thing. Our third observation of Jesus, the good shepherd, is that the good shepherd sacrifices for his sheep. Jesus puts himself in the place of danger to protect in order to win. 
A few weeks ago, I mentioned how many of the sheep pens during Jesus' day, they were uh, communal sheep pens, kind of, um, you know, large ones, which have maybe a paid gatekeeper, and then many shepherds would bring their flocks into that uh, flock of sheep, and they would all intermingle for a time, and then when the time was coming, that the, um, the, the shepherd of that sheep would call out to his own, and, and the ones that belonged to him would come out with him, and the ones that didn't belong to him would stay in the sheep pen because they knew his voice. But there was also another kind of sheep pen which showed up, you know, when you don't have the large commercial areas or whatever. You know, what happens when you're in the middle of nowhere? What happens when you're in smaller places out in the country? Well, they had built smaller sheep pens, you know, just enough for one flock. And that sheep pen was built up with rocks, and it had an opening at the front that the sheep could go in and out of. Now, guess what? You know, there, there, was, there was no gate. So guess how that the... Um, the shepherd would keep the sheep in and would keep the, the, the wolves out. We'd actually lay across the opening. You know, the sheep would have to go over him in order to leave, and, the, and the, the wolves would have to come in past him if they wanted to get the sheep. I mean, it really gives a lot of understanding to what Jesus says in verse 11 when he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Puts himself in the way of danger puts himself in the way of protecting and keeping. Or look at verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Scripture is clear that Jesus laid down his life to rescue us from our own sin. To rescue us from sin. To rescue us from, from the devil. From our own flesh. You see, these want to steal abundant life away. But Jesus laid down his life that we could have it, and we could have it forever. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying how? Like sheep. But now you've returned to who? The shepherd and overseer of your souls. He gives us life by bringing us in the sheepfold. That's, that's his love, wanting us to be there. No one would have picked us because, well, we weren't good enough. But what did he do? He loved us. He died for us in order to make us good enough. He chose us. Look down at verse 12. If you look down at verse 12, you see the opposite of this kind of care. You know, a picture of, of toxic leadership. Going back to John 10, verse 12. The opposite of, of his love is this sinful leadership. Verse 12 says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Right? When danger comes, the hired hand leaves. He's, he's been paid to, to protect the flock and you know what? Some jobs just aren't worth it, he says. Too much danger. I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. He doesn't really care. And who suffers? Well, the sheep do, of course. The ones who get caught up by the wolves. So it happens in our lives too, doesn't it? When a father cheats, the family suffers. When a pastor neglects the church for himself, the people suffer. When an elected official fails his duties, the nation suffers. Jesus purchased his sheep with his own life. He's not the hired hand who flees at danger, but he gives his own life. He has a greater love for the sheep than the hired hand. No one loves you like Jesus has. 
The government didn't die for you. Your, your boss didn't die for you. Your husband or wife didn't die for you. Only Jesus laid down his life. He's a good shepherd. Each one of his sheep, they mean something to him. So he doesn't flee when danger comes. But he fights. He fights to protect. That's his love. It protects. It, it volunteers. John 10, 17. Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down in my own accord. Verse 18, I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. We like leaders who don't give up. Well, sign of a good leader is that when times get hard, when not everything is working out, whether it's in, in marriage, in work, in church, that they willingly work things through, willing to humble themselves, willing to listen, willing to die to their own ambitions, and to live to God's purposes and the good of the sheep. Let me ask you, is, has Jesus has done this for you? Are you doing it for others? Are you laying down your life, your selfish ambitions to lead the people around you to the place where they can flourish? Do you think that your family, your employees, your church is there to serve you, or do you, or do you see yourself there to be a blessing and to help them to do well? Any leader who's worth his salt will have to lay down something of himself for, for others. He'll have to lay down something of himself for others. The good, the good shepherd sacrifices himself for the sheep. Let's look at the fourth thing here. The fourth thing is the good shepherd welcomes new sheep. Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will also listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Well, my fourth point here. So I want to show, I want us to see that Jesus is always welcoming new sheep. He unites them into one body. The, the, Jesus' hearers at this time would have known the implications of this. To them, it would have meant that Jesus' sheepfold is open to Gentiles as well as Jews. The, the toxic leadership of Jesus' day would have thought that God's kingdom was only for the Jewish people only. But Jesus points out in this that his kingdom is for the non-Jewish people too. He has chosen people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every skin color is represented in the kingdom of God. You know, just over this last week, last, especially last weekend, we saw, you know, uh, you know race-driven crimes from one coast to the other. Hatred between the races in this world and awful, awful crimes. Murderous rampages because of skin color, nationality, things that are contrary to his word. But Jesus reminds us that you know, ethnic divisions are not divisions to him. He died for people of every race. His division, the division that he has, is ultimately by faith. It's not by ethnicity or skin color. But there is a division which identifies one group from another. It's those who listen to his voice and those who don't. See, what binds the church of Christ together isn't ethnicity, it isn't a denomination, it, has, it isn't having the same political opinions, is that we listen to the voice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We profess him as our Lord and Savior, as our Lord and Savior. We, we obey his commands. We listen to his voice. That makes us one flock under one shepherd. That's what he's done with our church. He saved us. He's made us into one body. And that's an invitation. It's an invitation to any, everyone in this room. 
The flock isn't just for the super religious or the people who have it together. It's for the people who want to come under God's shepherding love, God's shepherding care, and to walk with God. Are you going to, out, are you going to stand outside of, of his care? Are you going to stand outside of his love? Will you keep thinking that you can solve all of your problems politically? Will you keep looking for Mr. Right or Mrs. Or Mr. Or Miss, Mr. or Mrs. Right in order to fulfill your dreams? Will you look to children to give you significance? You know, what shepherd are you looking to? If you trusted a false shepherd and you've discovered that it's, that it's a thief and a robber, my guess is that the time you needed it most is the time you realized it was going to fail you because that's what they do. Our idols fail us every time. Some of you here refuse Christ as your king and savior. You refuse him as your shepherd because you don't want to be constrained, because you don't want to give up certain parts of your life, but you're destroying your life by following the lies of the world. And you know it, especially when they fail you, but you know they will. The good news is God's flock is big enough for you. If you want to be in that flock, that invitation is open. Come to Christ. Respond to his voice. Believe in him. He will not cast you out, but he'll bring you in. Make it the day of faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Tell him that you want to be in his flock. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need a shepherd. We cannot feed ourselves spiritually. God, our hearts are prone to wander. We get unrooted from spiritual truth just to go all kinds of different ways, Lord. But you, in your kindness and your mercy, gave us a shepherd. You gave us Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. Father, we set him as as Lord, Lord of our lives. He's Savior of our souls. And we ask, Lord, that you keep us near to him. Keep us in his flock. Keep us under his care. Help us to see that we've never been loved like he loved us. Remind us that in him we have everything we need and help others to know this good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand together. The closing hymn is on the screen.